So we booked tickets and we were ready to go and we knew that the Lord said you need to be there at the end of May. And so that was clear. So we were heading in that direction and two weeks out, everything just evaporated. Suddenly the house wasn't available anymore. <laughs> there was nothing to go to. Wow. So we were sitting at home going, oh no, what do you do when you arrive at Istanbul Airport? <laughs> And we've just, we can't possibly like get our life back together again because we've just sold everything, left jobs, said goodbye to all of our friends. We can't very well stay either. So we, we persevered. But... ¿Qué está ocurriendo en la tierra por el amor de Dios? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? A small magnet with those words on a church organ caught my eyes years ago when I was a boy. And the words written on it have stayed with me ever since. It wasn't just a humorous play on words, but it's a lingering question that should motivate all of us to expect great things from God while attempting great things for God. I'm your host, Phil, an ordinary guy living with his family in South Africa. And one of my heroes is Barnabas, an ordinary guy from Cyprus, the son of encouragement, as he was called. My family and I love the work we do here in South Africa and to the people God led us to love and learn from. And my desire through this podcast is simply to encourage others laboring around the world reaching people I cannot reach with creative methods or unusual skills far different than mine. To simply reach out in a casual way through conversations, highlighting their efforts and lives to you who listen in so you might learn more about the work going on for God in so many different and unusual ways. It might be educational, entertaining, or even edgy, but it is all for the glory of God. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Let's find out the answer to that question with our guest today. It was the year 2012, and I was on a music team to Turkey. It was a trip that I had not really expected to make, but a colleague from the university I was teaching came and said, would you like to accompany a group of handbill uh, performers and musicians uh, over to meet with and talk to a number of uh, university students in Turkey. And I, because I enjoy traveling, thought, well, I'll, I'll go on that trip. And what would happen after would be really, in many cases, life-changing and, and perspective-changing. And it was on that trip where our paths crossed, Anya and Jeff McKee and myself, and I think forever forged a bond of family and a bond of friendship um, regardless of the miles and the years that have separated it and uh, us and has made it to be a very special thing that I've enjoyed. I'm so glad to welcome you to the podcast this morning and uh, your evening, my morning. Um, but where am I speaking to you from? And uh, give us an introduction on who you are and, and all that good stuff. Thanks, Phil. It's Anya and Jeff McKee. We feel very privileged that our, our live crossed, as you say. Uh, we're in Wellington right now. Wellington's in New Zealand. So we're down at the bottom of the world where it is right now, um, just coming out of winter. And yeah, very, very special memories of when you brought your um, your handbell choir to Borsa, Turkey. <laughs> I don't think anyone over there had heard of a handbell choir until you came, so you broke new ground. And tell us a little bit about your family. Who do you have there with you? And then what it is that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis there? We've got four kids. Eric and Joe uh, are 20 and 18. They're two boys. And um, we've got also Evangeline and Liberty, two girls. 14 and 12. 
And we're pretty much in Wellington doing family life. We came home from Turkey. Well, it sort of, it wasn't really home because we hadn't left from New Zealand. We'd actually gone out from Australia to Turkey. And after three and a half years in Turkey, we came to New Zealand. Just felt God say, after Turkey, I'm going to settle you in New Zealand. So I was born in New Zealand, but nobody else in the family was. Um, but we came here. We've been here about um, seven years. Yeah, about seven years, eh? And uh, so Jeff's working. Yeah, I, I work at a bank here. That's great. Work in IT. Business analyst. Business analyst. <laughs> <laughs> and I, well, I'm, I'm working from home. I have actually unexpectedly this year ended up with a publishing company. So I'm working full time pretty much from home, um, helping people publish books, doing everything pretty much from manuscripts to published book and watching people, helping people cross the finish line. So that's great. And we have our two boys are interns at our church and also do some casual work and are sort of working out what to do with their lives from here. Our our daughter Evangeline is homeschooling. She um, She pretty much looks after making sure she nails her education, hey? Yeah, she's really getting into it right now. Yeah, and Liberty's at the local school. And, yeah, so that's pretty much our family at the moment. Well, I'd like to ask the next question then really about how each of you, and and you can um, summarize for us, but how did you come to find Christ and to decide to follow him with your whole lives and your talents and vocations? Uh, I grew up in, in church, a fairly conservative church, I, I guess it was kind of that, that case where you just follow along with your family and, and sort of take on board what they believe. But I was about 14. I remember that I was sort of drifting away. And um, I, I actually remember the day when I just, I really felt God begin to draw me. He was definitely on my case and I felt it. I didn't really know what to do with that. That night, mum took us on to a crusade at, uh, at our church. It had been going for about a week. And I don't remember a thing that was said, but I really remember just feeling that the Lord was right there and he was He was saying, this is make and break for you kind of thing. And it was actually in a car after church that night that I came to, to Jesus. And I think what was distinctive about it is just really seeing the beauty of Christ somehow. And, and it, it wasn't a choice. It was just sort of irresistible. And uh, that, that will never leave me. That's an amazing thing. Anya, what about you? Yeah, well, I was likewise very um, privileged to grow up in a home where my parents loved the Lord and were quite, you know, cutting edge in many ways in their faith and served in many ways and planted little Sunday schools and churches and did some missions work. So very, very privileged um, to have that. And for me, I, I actually remember giving my heart to the Lord for the very first time, you know, my come to Jesus moment. I was four years old and uh, quite scared of what might happen, you know, at the end of the age. <laughs> it was very much the theme. And I just, you know, I remember giving, I remember just praying that the Lord would forgive my sins and um, make me his child. Um, I remember being baptized at about the age of 12. Realistically, I never quite had that sense of certainty that all was well. I, I kind of wondered if I'd really sort of been genuine or if I was actually really saved. And it really bothered me for lots of years. Went through some you know, always loved the Lord, loved the Bible, really, really loved the Bible and got into it. Um, but I'll be honest, it was, you know, after many, many years of serving the Lord, loving him, doing a lot of overseas stuff as well. Um, it was in Turkey that I really had my, you know, a real incredible transformation story, a before and after story where, you know, the Lord just, it was nearly like being born again, again. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> I remember just in prayer one day, just looking up from this little Turkish rug and saying, oh my goodness, Lord, is this what it feels like to be born again? Because I felt like I'd taken my first breath of spiritual air after he'd dealt with not just my sin, but um, 
a lot of sorrow that I didn't realize I'd been carrying. So I always thought the gospel was really just about getting your sin forgiven. And then I realized um, it was in Turkey that he just helped me see that the gospel was so much more, that it was genuinely it's healing for the brokenhearted and freedom for captives. Yeah, so big turning point for me at the age of 37. And where did the two of you collectively begin to look at the notion that you would do kingdom work somewhere other than Australia or somewhere other than New Zealand? What was it that stirred you both um, to consider that someplace like Turkey, which is so very different from the conditions in which you found yourself, was something that you might even consider? How did you get to that point? Yeah, I think it was always on our radar, um, even when we were sort of dating, we were sort of one foot in whatever we were doing and another foot thinking about what we'd like to do a little bit more, you know, significant. And um, so I, I had a notion of going to Russia and I, I'd spent a lot of time uh, learning Russian. I'm not very good at languages, but I was doing my darndest and <laughs> it was coming along. Even when shortly after we were married, we ended up going with our church. They they put on a short-term mission across to the Czech Republic and, and we had a blast uh, just going into uh, these picture-perfect fairy tale settings um, into um, sort of like logging areas. They had uh, students and we, we taught them English and, and such and using the Bible and it was fantastic and yeah, and I and uh, for me it was yeah definitely uh, when I was about seventeen my parents got quite a strong call to go to Albania and so we were um, among the first wave of missionaries that went in twenty five years or so ago to Albania just after it um, opened up and so very um, interesting to be part of that early kingdom work over there overseas and um, later went back on my own to work with some people in a, a home for unmarried mothers and. Oh, after that, did some did some work in in London in the in the estates of Tottenham with some friends, and then after coming back, I think the Czech Republic was next on our list. But realistically, Turkey wasn't something we were looking for. Turkey took us by surprise. By that time, we were married and we had four children, and we'd actually just moved back to our home city to settle down and have family around us. And we were enjoying that time. That season was really yeah. incredible to be to have all the family together. Again. And then we did this thing where we just without even really knowing what we were doing, we had always prayed, God, we're doing this, we're doing that. Would you come and join us? Would you bless us? Would you, you know, we want your presence with us in all these things that we were doing. And I, I, I think it was just how he prompted us to flip that prayer around. And we started to pray, God, actually, would you open our eyes to what you're doing and where you're working? And could we join you in that? Little, little suspecting that suddenly we would start having turkey come up all over the place. And it was very simple. It was just, we just knew it was a thing and it, would, it was popping into all areas of life. I was doing some consulting and traveling with work down from Brisbane to Sydney and Canberra, which is, you know, it's, it's a fair distance. And I was away for a lot, a lot of time and there was nothing in my life that was the same. And I just, I, I prayed one day and I said, Lord, at least could I have the taxi driver that takes me to the airport um, just the same each time. And as I was praying that in, in a taxi at four in the morning as I was going to the airport, the driver handed me his card and said, uh, I'm my mate or something, and I, I'll pick you up. I'll, I'll drop you off every time. Just just call the number. And he was Turkish. With a big Turkish oh, oh, And so... the funny thing was his brothers and his uncles and whatever, they gave me this incredible education in Turkish culture for the hour-long drive there and back <laughs> once or twice a week. Yeah. yeah. So who knows the type of venue that God uses to prepare you for an overseas field, hey? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because, you know, my wife and I also had South Africa to us was a bit of a surprise because 
we initially had thought that Thailand was where we might end up. We had great <laughs> friends there. There was uh, the potential for teaching. We loved the culture. We'd visited a few times um, during my teaching breaks, and the team that was there seemed wonderful. And God just shut that door, and it was never possible. And then it was, again, one of these, hey, you want to do a music tour thing, and one one thing led to another. So even just hearing you recount that where your attention begins to be really turned, it's, it's as if God reaches out his amazing hand and takes your chin and points it in a particular direction and says, you know, look where I'm showing you. And then he be, your body follows where your face goes, you know, and before long you, you find yourself somewhere completely brand new. I want to actually just pause here a second and say that um, – if you want some compelling reading, one of my daughters has been reading portions of Anya's book, um, which is called Foreigners in the City of Silk. It's available in, uh, on Amazon and other places, both in paper and, and, and digital format. You will absolutely not want to put this book down uh, in the description of the time that they've spent there. And time doesn't permit, obviously, the, the full recounting of that. But that's what the book does. Um, there's also a book uh, written called The Theater. And then also Feels Like I'm Breathing, which is a, a wonderful insight of how God revealed himself afresh and new to in Anya's life during a journaling season, during a period in which I think it's fair to say you took sort of a, a, a Protestant or a Christian Ramadan of sorts. Would that be accurate? <laughs> it did turn out to be during Ramadan. It wasn't by intention, but as it happened, I was getting quite desperate, not quite knowing, you know, sometimes under pressure. <laughs> When you're in another culture and sometimes even at home, when you're under a lot of pressure, um, it's like all your strengths come out and so do all your uglies. <laughs> and um, on one hand, genuinely, we were I was so proud of our family and what we were pulling off and we were really genuinely doing well. But then there was this other side where at home we were kind of self-destructing, not doing so good. And Jeff and I particularly were just provoking each other and getting on each other's nerves. But there was no, we couldn't put our finger on it. You know, it wasn't something we could just identify and fix or identify and address. And we knew it wasn't just culture shock or anything like that. Um, and I just couldn't live with those two things in conflict. And so I got to a point of kind of personal desperation saying, Lord, you know, I don't want an Anya tried harder story. I actually want a God story. I need a transformation story. And as it turns out, yes, a friend gave me a book that had an amazingly powerful prayer written in it, which I knew I, you know, I could start praying, but also um, it was coming up to Ramadan. And in Turkey, they send a drummer around, a teenage boy with a huge bass drum, like a big Ottoman drum. And they just run up and down the streets for, well, they, just waking everyone up. They, they take delight in making a whole lot of noise very early in the morning. Yeah, so they just bang away on these drums at like four in the morning so that everyone could get up and have a few cigarettes and some breakfast before the first call to prayer, of course, because then they've got to fast. And I was like, right, if they can get up at this hour of the morning, so can I. So I used that as my prompt. And uh, yes, it was a nice few hours of the day before everybody surfaced. <laughs> That's extraordinary. And I I want to get into that because um, we, we were just you know saying that although Turkey has not been um, – all of your life, it obviously has been a, a massive chapter and a, and a hinge point to what you were prior to that and then, and then the time you spent there. And that's really where we intersect in a, in a large city, Bursa, which I think is either the, the number three or the number four biggest city there in, in uh, Turkey. Um, Um, and it is it is the place where um, our stories uh, join, and, and we really are just amazed at how God has intersected and allow us to see each other again in Florida, um, based on a conference that you all attended. But I think the real the the real amazing thing is that 
you know, God chose you for Turkey and he used um, some unusual, let me call it just job descriptions, because how did you support yourself? Obviously, you decided that's where you wanted to go. But how did you decide where to land up, where to rock up? And then how did you stay there? In other words, what was your support system like? Were you able to consult? Were you volunteering? Take us through that part. It was really interesting because when uh, it became clear that the Lord was talking about Turkey, it was sort of a big gulp moment. It was sort of like, oh, you know, what do we do with this? And and I think where we went from there is just to say, okay, that's fine, but you'll have to do it. And not long after that, the Lord just said, team of friends. And we embraced that. And uh, what he meant by that, he sort of revealed it, was just to send out a message and uh, and contact all of our friends that we could think of. There ended up being, you know, a few hundred. And uh, we just made contact and said, this is what the Lord's doing. And and would you like to be part of the journey? And uh, interestingly, the model that the Lord gave was just send a little email message once a week to uh, the folks that wanted to connect. It was sort of opt-in. So we had seven teams, one for each day of the week, and they would just pray for us and uh, keep in touch. And it was super encouraging. Get in touch with us and, and say what they were, what they were um, praying over our lives and things like that. And it was a, one of the amazing things was just the way that the Lord provided um, really without, without a lot of direct communication, our, our needs were just met all along the way when we needed um, some support. It came at just the right time. They were so sensitive. It was incredible. And what is that expression? You never approve the resources of God until you attempt the impossible. And in an essence, that really was what you were doing. You were going against what conventional wisdom would say is to, you know, really have all your funding 100 um, percent short up, have a, a real good safety net of, of how God is going to provide. And then you go. Doesn't sound like you, you went that route. The truth was it was a little bit crazy, but it was it was it's a good story, right? We talked to all of the different groups that help people go over and really would have loved to have joined any of them. They were all wonderful people and we shared the same heart as all of them. But we didn't want to go kind of with this traditional model of, you know, we're here to come and necessarily even spread the gospel. We were, what the thing that had prompted us was, God, you're at work in Turkey and you seem to have your heart set on Turkey and what a privilege that we get to just join you in what you're already doing. We just doing. want to be a part of that. Yeah. So we just looked at what was in our hands, obviously, Jeff was you know a business analyst at the time and I had this incy wincy at, at the time it was just a tiny little editing company um, but it was very small nothing like what could support our family but when we put out the um, invitation to our team of friends to join us um, and and just back us in whichever way we went they rallied within three weeks they had kind of said hey we want to financially back you guys but I should backtrack probably and say yeah, we, we tried lots of doors for Jeff to get work over there as a consultant, thinking, well, it would be great to work, you know, like as normally as we can, but nothing really opened up. But every imaginable door opened up for my little editing company. So our model was we're going to go over and we're actually going to try and make this thing. We're going to try and, and provide academic editing services to throughout the Middle East. So we genuinely did it. We had an awesome business plan. We got our neighbor did the most fantastic website for us all in Turkish. I mean, I would say for the whole three and a half years we were there, or at least for the first three, we were very genuinely and with quite a lot of determination trying to get work. Hey, Jeff. Oh, the funny thing was it was a, it was a real failure uh, in, in business <laughs> terms, but that just endeared us to everyone else because we were quite straightforward about that with our friends over in Turkey. And it turns out that just about everyone in Turkey is in business and having a hard time of it. So uh, we were just quite normal. 
We were very thankful that we did have the, you know, it's nearly like people sponsoring you going, hey, we'll, we really want to see that you guys do well over there. And, but it was like the minute we got to 50% of what most normal people, you know, normal people like us go with, um, that funding just, that just stopped. And God just said to us, hey, that's, that's what you go with and trust me for the rest. And, um, and we did. We, there was nothing fancy about our lifestyle there. And we didn't get to go on holidays or go home or anything like that the whole time, did we? But we always had our needs provided. It was enough. It was was enough for what we needed. It was good. And a life lived by faith like that doesn't lack God's provision. And it's extraordinary to me the people that I've known who who have had a clear sense that God was calling them to a task. And the the ability to do so was less clear, and yet over and over again, God provided. I want to get to the place where um, a bus full of American kids and a couple of American professors roll up to a university in Bursa called the Uladog University, and what then would mean that we would do some concerts and we'd end up meeting um, you all there. How did you end up in Bursa? And then I think I'd love to hear also, how did you end up working with the entity or the or the city organization that you did that allowed us to meet in the first place? Yeah, well, we did a quick two-week reconnaissance prior to actually going. Uh, so we were on the ground about a week and a, and a couple of days. And we just visited a number of cities. We wanted to go to Ankara, but that didn't turn out. We went to Istanbul, and it was just such a big city compared to what we were used to that that just felt too much. And, and uh, we went to Izmir and we thought uh, this could work. This is something that you could bring four kids to and, and survive. And we did go for one night through Borsa and decided we could never live. And we did go for one night through Borsa and it was the one place we wrote off very quickly. Yeah, we wrote off very quickly. And now we had the most fantastic two weeks in Turkey, Jeff and I on our own, just meeting our, bunch of people and looking at things and going, okay, can we actually do this with our family? And we're so excited. And then, yeah, Borsa was the one we had, I think probably about 14 hours in Borsa in total. And we've never been, we were so scared. Hey, and it was, it was the, we the, couldn't the, get out of the, there fast the night of the sacrifice. So we saw all these men with a funny look in their eye, walking up the hill with knives in their hands. And it was part of this ceremony where they, they do a sacrifice once a year, but we weren't really aware of that. And Yes, it was just an unruly night from start to finish. It didn't help that we had a, a minaret from a mosque like five metres from Two our meters bedroom window. From bedroom window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we came back after that that time uh, convinced that Anya's editing business was what the Lord had, had his hand on and also convinced that Borsa was not the place to be and that we wanted to um, head to Izmir. And a little while later, we had an opportunity where there was a an apartment that came free from some others who were leaving for health reasons. And it was completely sort of furnished and everything was sort of there, even down to, you know, some clothes in the in the wardrobes that were the right size for our girls and and, and things like that. It would have been so easy and um, we could have just sort of brought them out of that and so they could go home and we could have somewhere to go. And so that was our plan. We just watched God bring absolutely everything together for us to go to Izmir, so we thought. And even an academic conference in Izmir, so this was all in Izmir, decided that our academic editing business could sponsor their conference. And so we were thinking, oh, this is all coming together. And then uh, that kept... Two weeks before we left. So we booked tickets and we were ready to go. And we knew that the Lord said, you need to be there at the end of May. And so that was clear. So we were heading in that direction. And two weeks out, everything just evaporated. Suddenly the house wasn't available anymore. (laughs) There was nothing to go to. So we were sitting at home going, oh, no, what do you do when you arrive at Istanbul Airport? (laughs) 
we've just we can't possibly like put our life back together again because we've just sold everything left jobs said goodbye to all of our friends we can't very well stay either so we we persevered but we have since realized that I don't think there's anybody who ends up you know, transitioning to these other countries where there's not something that could have held them back at the 11th hour. I think everybody we met had a similar story or a variation on the story where there was just always something that could have kept them from going. And that for us, that was one of the thing, one of the big things, wasn't it? It, was, it yeah. came as a huge discouragement. That happened to us as well. When we thought we were getting clarity to come to South Africa, there was another opportunity that was um, very much um, in our eye and it was a financial step up. It was a positional step up. It was a visibility step up from from what we were doing. And it it's very interesting that that's a bit of a proving or a bit of a of a refining to say, you know, will you trust me in in what it is that you've gained? So that that's amazing. You say that because that's our life story as well. You get to Bursa, and I just it would be amazing to hear. Obviously, your kids are younger. Um, so there is a great deal of culture shock. There's the settling in, the learning where to shop, uh, where to file your paperwork, how to ride from one end of the town to the other. Take us through that transition point as as Bursa becomes your new home. Unless you do it, you can't really comprehend how much of your brain gets taken up by just the you know trying to learn the language and operate. And because we weren't really super hooked in with any group. We had to do everything ourselves. But one of the incredible things was that vulnerability was like a key that just unlocked so many relationships for us. And so we were just real and we would just look all over the place. And um, so we went down the secondhand market to buy furniture and things and got we didn't have a car, so we were getting the back with all sorts of uh, fair means and foul, you know, to try and furnish this apartment we had. The thing was, you know, the people in the, the market, you know, they, they knew the name of our children and, you know, they... They called out our name, but, you know, they weren't just saying, you know, come buy our furniture. They were, they were actually saying, Jeff, Jeff, come and buy our furniture. They got to know us. It was a very endearing moment. Um, we found Ikea. Oh, that God was amazing. Bless Ikea, hey. God bless Ikea. Absolutely. That was amazing. But oh, just, just it was to just give like you, a tiny little outpost of home. And, and, and we did, <laughs> we cheated a bit and bought some Ikea stuff because yeah. it, was, it was easier. But here's the thing. So our youngest girl loses her shoe in Ikea. The next time we went to Ikea... Probably like a month later. Yeah, like a month later, they came up to us and said, this is your little girl's shoe. <laughs> so we, we must have just stood out like, you know, I don't know what. And I think the, the interesting thing about Warsa is, I mean, one of the reasons why we had ruled it right out was because basically hardly anybody spoke English. There was, as far as we knew, hardly an expat community at all. Very, very few Christians. It was a city of three million people, and I think, as far as we knew, one tiny little church with about forty people in it. It just no, no option for schooling. I mean, it went against everything. And so, when when the house in Izmir fell through, we we got offered the use of a tiny apartment in Borsa just for a few weeks while we kind of regrouped. And it was just during that time that Jeff woke up one morning, and that verse came to his mind: "I've uncovered your feet." And we just knew, um, it's a bit of a story, but in the end, um, we just knew that God was a bit like with Ruth and Boaz. Um, God was just saying, I'm asking you a favor. Would you live in Borsa? Just like um, Ruth was essentially uncovering Boaz's feet and saying, hey, I'm asking you a favor. We hated Borsa till that point. But when we actually heard that word from God and actually signed on a house in Borsa, the whole city suddenly looked different to us. It was like, Lord, if you had told us you wanted us to come and live in, in Borsa, we would have obeyed because we love him and we trust him. 
but it was so lovely that he didn't kind of command us or, or order us there or tell us to go there. It was just like, would you do me a favor and live here? And we're like, oh my goodness, if you put it like that, of course we can. And so we did. And and I think that was one of the things is we, Borsa was our home from that moment on and we loved that city and we felt God's heart for that city and how much he loved it and yearned for it and, and he was proud of it too. And I think that was the same same in the other direction. The local people, probably because of our weakness, found us quite endearing and they were endeared to us. So it was just beautiful, really. And I think, too, that the, one of the issues is that a place like Istanbul or Izmir, even Ankara to the south, but but cities like that are used to a an international uh, community. They're used to seeing people from many cultures and there's a patience, there's a, um, a kind of a professional indifference that you know that they're there and... Uh, but but I I even remember from our just a few days there in Bursa is really getting the sense that there's just not a lot of people that look and sound like me there. And you're more likely to stand <laughs> out. You know, you're more likely to to be uh, viewed as an outsider or viewed as a foreigner. And, and obviously with the interest that people show you at the market or at the stores and you're a bit of a novelty. I'm certain that that also brought great challenges, and I don't want to ignore that part of the story. I don't. I don't want to make it the entire story, but um, anyone reasonable listening would say, you know, they faced a lot of hardships there: uh, distance from home, differences in religion, differences in culture, English not prevalent, having to learn Turkish. I mean, on and on and on. And yet, I suspect that God made all of those things a little easier because you absolutely knew that's where He wanted you to be. Yeah, and that, and that's very true. And I have to say that some of the things he called us into during these times were quite uncomfortable. Like there was a day that we were ready to go to church, the one little church that was in town, and he asked the question, did I ask you to go there? And we had to sort of humble ourselves and, and come before him and, and say, no, no, that's not the case. And uh, it turned out that we, we didn't go to that church. But the following Sunday... There was a knock on our door at exactly church time. The neighbors came over with food and whatever, and uh, that was that was our time to be uh, welcomed into the neighborhood. And it was this sort of counterintuitive way that God was working all the time that really it was it was invigorating and exciting and it carried us along, but super challenging all the time. And um, I've got to say something because I know we're going to talk about Anya's role there in a second, but I think there was a light bulb moment for me, really the six months we were there when I just discovered, oh my goodness, who is this girl that I've married? Who is <laughs> this 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 was not what I expected. I got I got more than I bargained for because what was incredible was that as God was leading us, you know, these two years that we were in Borsa were they were really Anya's moment to shine. God had set us up, he'd gone before us. In fact, um, God had even spoken to one of the gentlemen who, who worked in a little shop down the, down the bottom of the street and said, you're going to meet an Australian. And um, God had gone before us. But what happened um, was that I just watched in that time that, you know, Anya following the Lord, which I so, I so admire about her, um, but also she just rose to every challenge that the Lord put in front of her. What I saw probably for the first time in my life was a huge capacity for people like maybe 10, 20 friends, and I'm, I'm maxed out. But I watched Anya during these couple of years really travel with hundreds of people and know them all by name and be able to really minister to them in their very personal situations as well as going to sort of a leadership role with them. And, and that was amazing. 
And I want to say, too, that our whole family is where we are. You know, your whole family was where you are. And each of them have a circle of influence that they get to be salt and light for our Savior. And I, I never, ever want to overlook that, that we we may have distinct offices. We might have distinct responsibilities, one from another. But um, I, I would imagine your children were ambassadors. I imagine that they're winsome ways down, you know, playing soccer or, or um, interacting with other kids at school were all part of your mission, your mission only, that kingdom work, the the, the the things that you were doing for heaven's sake that incorporated your experience there? Yeah, I think one of the things um, in that regard is there seems to be a, a focus not so much on, you know, let's say reaching out to individuals, though there were many of them in our lives, but it was it was like God had his heart set on a city. So for example, with our children, I mean they had we had endless issues and struggles um to deal with in the schooling system over there. Um not the least being that they couldn't understand the language. So yeah, there were there were there were countless um issues that we came up against. But you know, our kids, they would just every morning on their way to school just say, Lord, I, you know, I I bless my teachers, I bless my school, I bless, and they'd go through every kid in the class. But, and, you know, we just invite Jesus. And I remember little Liberty, she was only about five, and she just said, you know, someone said to her, So, what tell us, what do you do in Turkey? And she's like, We just worship Jesus lots and lots because if we worship Jesus, Jesus will come. (laughs) And it was just, it was just a case of, you know, we just want to be here to welcome his presence and he can do what he wills. But I think we all had, I mean, you did a lot of pre walking gear around our neighborhood and, just blessing our neighborhood, blessing the city, praying that God would just come in with his light and peace and and blessing on the city and and, and his heart, his desires would be reflected in the city. So, yeah, it, it was quite good because it lifted a lot of the tensions and the difficulty from just, you know, a sort of very small personal level. It made it, we, we felt very strong we were part of a bigger picture than ourselves. I really would love to hear how he moved you through this layer of, of being foreigners, of being new, of having to be weak and vulnerable and ask questions and laugh a lot and blush a lot. How did he take you through that to where you became influential and and being able to really meet with a lot of the officials in Bursa? There were two kind of sides to it. One is Anya quickly engaged with a group and, and she was getting to know some of the locals and, and such. One thing happened, one morning I went out prayer walking and I was just walking through and I was just noticing uh, the, the way that I was going around by the river, I, I, I must have been walking through some sort of rubbish dump and I was thinking, oh, this is filthy, this is filthy, this is a bit of a yuck. I shouldn't walk this way kind of thing. But then I rounded a corner and, and I, as I came around, I, there was this great big park and there were all these these architectural drawings of what they wanted to do with this park. So they, they had uh, beautiful renditions of, of what their dream was for that park. And as I looked at that, I just got this really strong impression that God just loved the beauty that they had imagined for this place. And and it went one step further to be like, God really loves the city council. He loves what's going on in the city council. Yeah, these these billboards had the city council logo. So Jeff saw that and he just came home with that sort of in his heart. At the same time, I had a text message come from one of these other expat women that I had met. She was with a foreign company saying, oh, Anya, just in case you're interested, tonight at the convention centre in town, um, the city council is holding a meeting for foreigners. Do you want to come? And I, I had no idea what she was talking about, but I, I went along. And so we'd only been in town for about three weeks at that point. And um, as it turns out, the city council over there, the, the president of the city council was a dear, dear man. Um, I would really consider him the father of the city over there. And he, he had a huge heart for the city. 
and he administered the city council through a group through a series of working groups. So I think they had about 18 at the time, all representing different different issues. You know, a children's working group, a disability services working group. So all the different sort of demographics in the city. There was even like a city heritage working group and a music working group, and all the all the all the big cultural and um, and types of people there. And then you know, and I believe this was God, but it was just a few a, a month or two before we arrived. Um, he put in in this the president of the city council's heart. Oh, what about a foreigners working group? It would be good to have a working group to find out who are the foreigners in town and how could we make sure their needs are met. So I got there very very early in the piece. I think that only had one or two meetings. And at the meeting, I turned up at that night. They said, well. Um, Next week, we're going to be voting for a president for this group. You know, have to think about it and and come back. And I didn't think much more about it, except that later that week in just my time with God, he really highlighted to me the verse in Hebrews where it says, do not throw away your confidence for with that there is great reward. And it really stood out to me as if he was sort of lifting it up off the page to me and I thought, oh, that's strange. I don't feel like I'm lacking in confidence. I mean, we've just brought four kids to the other side of the world, so we can't be too too scared. But I knew he'd given me that verse. And then, yeah, I went to the, to the meeting um, a couple of weeks later and everyone went around the room basically saying why they thought this group was a joke and it was just a farce and nothing would get done. And, and actually, basically, there were very, very few people that were interested in even keeping this thing going. Basically, a lady next to me, a Turkish lady, just nudged me and she said, you should put your hand up. You should be you know, considered to be president. Anyway, long story short, they took a vote and I became the, uh, the, the president of the Foreigners Working Group in Borsa, not having a clue what that was going to involve. But as it turned out, we for the next three years, we partnered with the city council, with the leaders of the city to, to pull off projects that were for the benefit and blessing of the city. So foreigners participating and working together with the locals to do things that would, you know, mutually bless the city, but also benefit the foreigners. So we wanted it to, to be very much a two-way thing. And in some ways, I think it was quite an unusual privilege. We were interacting on a daily basis with the leaders of the city, the mayor, the city council, the mayor of the province, the uh, the president of the city council, and his staff, and pulling off a lot of um, official events as well as projects. The other side of it, of course, was that I got to meet and represent every foreigner in town, and it turned out there were quite a few, probably four or five thousand by the end of it that I came across wow. from all parts of the Middle East, Russia, Europe, um, yeah, Africa, you name it. They just came out didn't they? Um, they just came and They were there for through. every imaginable reason, and so we had a very cool procession of people through our home and through the working group. And I just, I just really want to honour them all, to be honest. Um, there were lots of projects and a lot of people worked hard to bless the city. And that was one of the things the Lord had actually given us. It just, just pray for the city, just bless the city and you'll prosper too sort of thing. And uh, that's pretty much all we took to that city. But uh, it was a whole bunch of foreigners just trying to make the city a better place. So after doing all sorts of projects, like we tried to get some information in English at the foreigners' police so that we could all figure out how to get visas. That was, was, that was an ongoing saga. We pulled off a, a picnic to welcome foreigners where the city could welcome and meet foreigners. You know, we tried to get an international school happening, but that didn't, that fizzled. Um, we tried to set up a library. Oh, we oh, we had an amazing um, photo fest because we figured one thing, everyone can do whatever language they speak is they can take photos that showcase their city. So we had an amazing photo fest, the first one ever in Borsa. And I think now That's it's still, still going. Yeah, yeah, going yeah. strong. So good. Moved to Istanbul as well now, all over the place. So, you know, really successful projects. And then actually my time was... I think it had already wound up or it's very close to winding up. 
when the the assistant to the president came to me one day, she said, oh, Anya, can you come into my office? And I was like, yeah, okay. Went into her office and she said, I know you're, I know you're just finishing up here, but um, I want to ask if you can help me. Uh, the local university has, um, has said that they're going to host this group from America, a group of music students, and we want to give them, we want to welcome them to town and would you be able to join us in hosting them and, and welcome them to Warsaw and sort of help collaborate between the university and the city council? And um, my ears pricked up. I said, oh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, America, well, that's interesting. And she said, oh, yes, it's a handbell choir. And I was like, oh, this is hilarious. Like, who plays the handbells except Christians? <laughs> 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 no way. This is amazing. And so I said, oh, yes, that's interesting. What university are they from? She's like, Clearwater Christian College. I was like, no way. This is like, they might even be our sort of Christians. <laughs> <laughs> But, I, but, you know, I, I just still remember the day, you know, you came and, um, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I, I remember we couldn't really talk because something was already underway when I came into the room and, and sort of I sort of slotted in at the side. But there's just something about people who love the Lord that you can you can just see the spirit in them, you know. And, and there was just this beautiful life in the room that we'd craved and longed for for so long. I think I just was holding back tears, to be honest, just because it had been so long without, you know, what we think of as so normal. But we hadn't gone to um, church for two years. Yeah. And so we were getting by on whatever we could scrape up on the internet and um, and that sort of thing. But I remember, I think it was you, Phil, that played as the deer. So that was at, right at the end. I know we did a few a few projects together. We went to the kids' home together. I mean, all of these were breakthrough moments, to be honest, um, in the history of the city. And we knew that what God was doing was in some way a grand finale. We had really watched him bless and, and and just bring light to that city in so many ways and freedom and just make it easier for foreigners. But when you guys came, something very big shifted. And I do remember that you did a, we did a big concert together <clears throat> and it was in the in the convention centre and we brought children along from the children's home and, and you, <clears throat> your people had gone and taught them the handbells. And so they were all up on stage. Those They were so honoured. They were so showcased on that night it's something that had traditionally not happened in that city and so it was it was very much a redemption story that night and I don't think a lot of people would have known what was going on behind the scenes but I remember when when you and particularly you on your horn but also the handbell choir you know when you played when the, as the deer pants for the water I think I was just a wreck on the front row um with all the dignitaries and Jeff just stood up at the back of the room and took off his shoes and said, I'm on holy ground. It's just too much for us. And I don't think we've ever recovered. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a sense of that night the Lord was enthroned. Um, and it had been a long, it had everything been a long time. Everything we'd been praying for, everything that we'd been worshipping for and longing for. I think when your group came, it was actually a tactile, tangible uh, expression of, God breaking through and just bringing something of heaven to earth into that city. And you came with such a beautiful spirit that, you know, you didn't come with a big agenda. You came very mutually. You were there to learn from them. They were there to learn from you. You were, you brought such teachable spirit and such humility to the mix. And oh, I don't know, there was something very powerful about that. And I think, you know, in, in big picture, eternal terms, um, it was, it, it wasn't just your, your, your stock standard little, short-term trip. <laughs> <laughs> Patty Casero, our wonderful colleague uh, who was at Clearwater in those days and has now moved on, 
was really the main uh, components. God put her and a lady named Dr. Cezanne Ozeki at a school in Arizona for PhD studies. And it's that conversation years before we met in Bursa that would stimulate and trigger uh, Patty's handbell choir to come over to Turkey. And I got to ride along with them. And, and, the, and the rest, as they say, is history. And so I know Patty will be listening to this and um, want to just uh, just love her publicly for the work that she did and the, the kids that went. Again, if you want to read more details on this, go to the Strangers in the Silk, in the Silk City um, book. And um, Anya goes into great detail on this, on this chapter. It's one of the most amazing portions, I think, of my traveling life um, in the many countries I've done music in and visited in. But um, the connection we made with the Turkish kids, I think still to this day, we keep up with them on social media. There are faculty members from the school that we continue to keep up with uh, a long range um, it is just a wonderful thing that God allowed us to, to join in with you um, for a season, for a short season of time. I think we were in the country less than 12 days total. I think we were in Bursa maybe three or four days um, uh, total, and yet something lasting happened. You know, God gives us a season, and oftentimes he concludes that season and moves us on. And I know that was your case as a family was. God indicated that your time in Bursa was done. I want to just conclude by looking at um, what has gone on since Turkey for you, and how is he continuing uh, on earth to do things for his heaven's sake uh, in your lives? I think I think um, the whole journey to Turkey and through Turkey, um, we couldn't have done it without um, really some spiritual tools. I think uh, it, it was it was really as the Lord was just revealing, you know, go to Turkey, that we begin began to realize, oh, you know, w- w- there's a little bit of a battle to fight here and, and we don't have anything to work with. But with that realization, which wasn't a pleasant one, also came just some equipping from the Lord. And there were a number of years there, including the years we were in Turkey, and, and I just mentioned some of that that she wrote down in, that, in the book, feels like I'm breathing, but it was a journey of healing and spiritual breakthrough for us over all through the, that time. And um, the year after we left Borsa, we actually had a lot of opportunity to take what had really come about in our lives and share it with other people in Turkey. And uh, what we realized was our faith was not just about having our sins forgiven, but being transformed, being set free. I think one of the keys um, for us was realizing, you know, if you want to get something done in the physical realm, you use your hands, generally speaking. Um, but if you want to get something done in the spiritual realm, you use your words, you know, that God speaks and something is created. Um, you know, when he blesses, things get blessed. Um, no words from his mouth return void. And, you know, we were, we were there realizing actually we're in a country where there's very little we can actually do physically. Yes, we did lay down our lives in that city in many ways um, in terms of serving and working hard but actually um the real work of you know we just we just learned to believe that actually if we if we do our work in the spiritual realm if we do it you know in the heavenlies if we we can we can actually bring change and then just watch it flow to earth um so for us it was learning to be confident in the spiritual realm you know learning things like cutting off curses proclaiming blessings how to break down strongholds how to recognize them um you know just even you know there were times where it would just be i I didn't even know what to pray and just speak the name of jesus out you know um i just remember saying you know life and health and peace life and health and peace you know and sometimes those those old hymns just really give you all the lyrics all all the words you need but it wasn't just 
it wasn't empty anymore. It was, you know what, when I speak out his name, the darkness has to flee, the, the fear has to flee, the oppression has to flee. We needed that many times. You know, there were times where we were sick and there, there was, you know, we didn't know what to do in terms of a doctor. But I remember one night, Jeff just put worship music on and I just slept surrounded by worship music and I woke up completely healed and healthy. And I think it was just, you know, the, the spiritual realm is very, very real. And these these cultures know it. They, that's why they have evil eyes everywhere because they know that there's evil. Um, and so we had to learn to operate in an unseen environment. So, of course, you know, we can all pull out what we need to do in the seen environment. So coming home, having sort of... It was just a, a new, it was a paradigm that just st stayed with us and we, and we just sensed the importance of it in everyday life. It became part of our lifestyle. So we came home and the Lord just said, you know, pretty much we just kept living in Turkey the way, you know, we kept living the same way and we... Um, and just put on our heart, we started Torn Curtain Collective, which is a ministry that it, it exists to just equip and empower people all over, you know, all over the place, really, to operate as confidently and naturally in the physical, in the spiritual realm as we do in the physical. And we just believe that there's no corner of earth he can't transform mm -hmm. if we will um, partner with him and align our hearts and our um, actions with what he's already doing. So, you know, our dream is to see little out outposts of heaven on earth, really, wherever we go. <laughs> um, and sometimes that looks like one-on-one -on -one ministry. Sometimes that looks like, you know, um, you know, bringing things to, to bigger groups or sometimes it's, yeah, literally still standing up and uh, looking out over our city and proclaiming a blessing in Jesus' name. That's pretty much the story since then. And whether yeah. or not you're helping now guide uh, people who want to publish books the same way that you have, and speaking into them with truth and with wisdom and with scarring and wounding that has come alongside your journeys. Um, yeah, we were just saying it's quite funny that this, um, this business that never took off the ground in Turkey, <laughs> suddenly it's like the Lord's. Well, actually, he said to us at the beginning of the year, you know, I, were, I just had that, you know, people talk about New Year's resolutions, and I felt quite strongly that the Lord said, actually, um, I don't want you to make any resolutions. This year I'm going to bring resolution to you. And I just had this picture of, you know, all the loose ends, you know, the things we'd trusted for or hoped for, the promises that we'd held onto that hadn't yet come to pass. And all the things, the ventures that we'd stepped out in faith, you know, even even this editing business over in Turkey, what had come of it, you know? Um, and I guess this year, yeah, we've just watched him nearly come full circle and tie them together. And suddenly uh, we can't keep up with what God's doing in this space either. So, yeah, same old theme. God never wastes our experience. Um, he never, ever just casts aside the stuff that we have. And I think that's one of the most amazing things is that um, even though it feels like there was a failure or there was a, an inadequacy on our part or a plan didn't go quite like we wanted to, that that can always be dividends that he, uh, he will use later, always gifts, always uh, things that he can use for his glory and for his namesake. It's, it's just a... It's been amazing. For, for more information on how to get in touch with you guys, is there a resource that they can go to online or a way to reach out to you, our listeners? Um, obviously, we've mentioned the books, The Foreigners in the City of Silk, The Feels Like I'm Breathing, and then uh, another book, a third book, The Theater. Um, all of those available online. But is there a way that they might get in touch with you or, or in some Yeah, sure. You can also stay tuned because Jeff's about to publish a book called The Hero and the Villain, which is going to be an awesome read as well. But, um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, um, just email us, connect at torncurtain.co.nz. 
Um, so that's .co.nz, um, connect at torncurtain.co.nz. We're on, we're on Facebook and Instagram and things. If you look for Anya McKee or Jeff McKee, um, yeah, we love connecting with people. In just a moment, I'm going to ask Jeff to close us in a word of prayer, just thanking God for the chance that we've had to connect this morning, this afternoon, this evening, and, and over the years, um, and the delight that it is to know that um, that we are eternally bound as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and I want to just say that God uses um, such a variety of his people in a variety of circumstances. There's a breadth in his delivery method and then the way in which he uses our lives to contact others. We're not all supposed to be the same in how we do this. Um, the way that we do it here in South Africa, um, or we think we should do it, is so vastly different than the way it might work in New Zealand or, or Australia or in Turkey. But his work goes on. And I think that's just been the, my whole heart with this podcast is to point out that that what is going on on earth is ultimately for his glory and for heaven's sake. And so um, I leave us with those concluding remarks. Jeff, as you close us in a word of prayer. Father, we're, we're just so thankful um, for this time. We thank you for everyone who's listening and no matter where they're at or what they're seeking to find in you, uh, we're just praying for breakthrough on every side. We pray that you give them the, the desires of their heart and you'd bless them abundantly. Lord, um, we just thank you for that moment when we met Phil and uh, all the others with him. And we thank you that as you were revealing your glory, you brought um, some people who loved you from opposite sides of the world to join you in that moment. And we thank you that we met then uh, and we thank you for, yeah, really that you love us and you welcome us into all that you're doing. So we want to thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas and even future interview subjects about this podcast. If you want to reach out or reach out to those that you heard today, drop me a note at phil.golson at gmail.com. We have a U.S.-based nonprofit called Grace Garden Root Arts Communication and Education set up for donations of financial gifts or items like instruments, uniforms, or even computer equipment for our lab that's administered by Kristen. For more information on Grace, go to www.thewordgrace, followed by K-N-Y-S-N-A dot O-R-G. It's www.gracenisna.org. Also, if you want to read about our team here and the missions model that we use for church planting, discipleship, seminary training, redemptive relationship building through life skills, education, and counseling, go to www.nisnahope.org. That's K-N-Y-S-N-A hope.org. And that's for more information. What on earth are you doing, for heaven's sake? We'll see you next time.